brand new coming in on this. We've been doing a series about bravery. I will not make you raise your hands if you want to be brave. I think it's innate. It's built in us to want to be brave. I think every one of us wants to walk through life in a way that, well, life doesn't just knock us down. And so all of us, and I say all of us, if you don't know this, every Sunday, the fellas at RCMU gather together. They've been going through how to be brave. If you've been here at the West location, we've been going through how to be brave. We've all been having the same conversation, how to be brave. We've been using a guy named Elisha. Elisha is a guy that lived for real. There's stories about him, historical documentation about him. We've been using his life to help you and I know how to be brave. I'm gonna finish up the whole thing. I'm gonna finish up the whole thing. Now, we've skipped through stories. Now, I need to give you a disclaimer. I actually literally put in my notes a disclaimer. The story I'm gonna tell you, some of you are like, mm, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I'm gonna read to you a real story. There's real documentation both in the Bible and out of the Bible. There's more facts wrapped around this than a lot of the books that we have our kids learn in school. It is real, but when I read it, you're gonna be like, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> So I'm gonna ask a favor, that you'll guard your opinion, that whether it, you think it's believable or, or likely, that you'll just know that this was written down, it really happened, there were witnesses, and it's both a weird story, a bit awkward, a little bit when you press into it, but amazing story. So hopefully your appetite has been prepared enough to hear this story, but I'm just telling you, I didn't make it up. This will make sense as I go through this. So here we go. Second Kings is where we're at. Second Kings 13, 20. Elisha died and was buried. I had to tell the end of the story. So there you go. Thanks for coming and learning about Elisha. A lot of times I don't finish the story and I go home and Katie's like, hey, you didn't finish the story. And I, You're right. So Elisha died and was buried. Now here's why this is important because you need to know the context. Uh, they, they didn't typically do funerals and, and burials like you and I think. Uh, they would typically excavate a, a side of a hillside and they would go in there and create this cave if they didn't have another cave and that's where they would bury folks. They would put them in there, not necessarily buried underground, but in those caves. So when I tell you Elisha died and was buried, there was a big funeral. And in fact, they grieved better than we typically grieve. And they grieved and had, and there was a, we know from documentation that this was a big funeral. Tons and tons of people gathered to grieve the life of Elisha. Elisha died and was buried. Now watch this, because then it starts to get a little, well, messed up here. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. You're like, Moabite raiders. The only raiders we know typically are the Oakland raiders, and they're not scary. <laughs> you like how I did that? Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. If just to help you clarify, Moabite raiders, think pirates. Literally think pirates. There's a group of people that would come in and steal and pillage everywhere that they could. Specifically, they're repeat offenders. Every spring, they would go into the Israelites' world and take from them what wasn't theirs. Now, why in the spring? Well, it's because that's when they had just harvested everything. So they had all this fruit and these crops they had gathered up and were beginning to store it. And the pirates knew this and they would come in and take this. So I just wanted to give you context. Elisha has died. He is buried in a tomb. And every single spring, these pirates keep coming in. Now here's why I had to tell you all this. We're about to get into weird. Are you ready for weird? I hope you're ready for weird. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. We're talking about the pirates there. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, 
the man came to life and stood up on his feet. See, I told you some of you would not believe me. Because that's weird. There is not a single person, oh yeah, I've seen that happen. It happened to my, my Aunt Lois. I, it totally, totally happened. No, no. It doesn't happen to any of us. This is, this is weird. And here's what's frustrating. Let me frustrate some of you. That's where the story ends. Over. There, there's no more context. There's no more like, and, and the guy got up and raised the family. And, or, no. That's it. That's it. Elisha dies, pirates come in, they're having a funeral for some other guy, they throw him in, his body touches Elisha's bones, he comes back to life. Thanks for coming, everybody. It's been a great day today. I mean, that seems intense and weird and, and, and not fully rational. So, so I have to suppose, as I would say on this, I, 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 if you read the Bible, you should ask, why is this story in the Bible? You should, when you read, if, even if it's confusing or weird or, or just seems fairy tale like you should ask, I wonder why this is here. And so I have to suppose a few things. If you don't have this already pictured in your mind, let me clarify some things. You've got family and friends at a funeral. They're grieving. Nearly all of us have participated in a funeral where we've attended some sort of funeral where a friend or a family member has passed away. And if you can think and reflect on your emotions, it's pretty somber. It's typically pretty sad. And that's what you've got. This whole crew gathered together. They're laying to rest their friend, their family member. We don't know much about them. Other than that there's a funeral going on and they're concluding the funeral. They're going to put the body, they're going to bury it. And someone, somehow, or a group of them, notices in the midst of the funeral, as they're about to bury their friend, they notice pirates coming. I mean, you're conflicted in that moment. I mean, you're sitting there, and you're grieving, and you're sad, and maybe it's a celebration of the person's life, and you're having this moment, and then it's interrupted. The funeral is interrupted. I mean, that's one thing you do not do, is interrupt a funeral, but that's what happened. That's what the story is telling us. Is this funeral, they're sad, they're grieving, has been interrupted. And so they do what you and I would do. And they get out of town. I mean, it's, you've got pirates coming in. They know exactly what's going to happen. Is they're going to lose everything that they've been growing and prepping for. They might even lose their lives if they don't go and, and hide. And so I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us all what happened. We could just know, culturally speaking, what would have happened. They all would have ran. They see the pirates, and it's time to go hide. And so what the story does tell us is instead of putting them in a proper burial place, they take the body and put it into someone else's tomb. And it just happens to be Elisha's tomb. And when the body rolls up on the bones of Elisha, the guy wakes up. I mean, you've got half the crew probably already running. The other ones are responsible for the body. The, maybe the pallbearers are, are throwing in and they're running. Just picture this. Let, let me suppose for a moment, you've got everybody running. I mean, now, now, now I know this will shock you. I don't, I don't really enjoy running. And, and you've got all these people running and they get done running. They get to where they want to go, whatever. It's a safe place. And they're sitting there panting going, oh man, oh man. Oh wow, that was, And it's Bob, who they just did the funeral for. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is how it played out. I'm just, I'm, I'm putting some information in there that I'm, I'm just guessing. I have to guess. But can you imagine if that's what's playing? They all run. They get the safe. And they're like, wow. Oh, my. Can you? Man, that's. And they look over. And it's, 
It's him. And that's when you're like, hey, am I saying is that I'm not grieving well? I mean, can you imagine how going to the funeral of a friend or a family member and moments later they're up and at it and just alive? I mean, but what's frustrating if you don't dig into this, it's, what's frustrating is that this is in the Bible. It's, it's a couple of verses that talk about, well, Elisha, this great, brave guy who trusted God, God used, he dies and he's buried. And then we jump to this random verse in the big old book of the Bible. And all of a sudden, a body rolls up on his bones and comes to life. And so I love to press into Bible stories. So I'm... I'm reading this. I went to college. I went to do my graduate work. I'm supposed to know all the stories in the Bible. But when about a year ago, I'm reading just in the Bible, just learning from God, I come across this one verse. I'm like, I don't remember this verse. I checked the version of the Bible I'm reading just to make sure it's not a made up one Disney version of the Bible. I'm like, what, what's going on? And then I said, God, what am I supposed to learn why is this here? And here's what I've been learning from him. It's so cool to me that Elisha lives this brave life, does these incredible things, trusts God, even when it seems weird, and then he dies and God says, you trusted me so much I can still use you even when you're not here. It brought to mind the idea of a legacy conversation. The idea that here's what I want to live my life like. I want to live my life now so well. I want to follow God, obey God, literally listen to every word of his and to make the choices in such a way that my character, my behavior, my words, my actions, all that are so potent that when I die, when David dies, God says, I can still use him. That's the kind of life I believe Jesus was teaching over and over and over and saying, saying your life now matters, it's important, and it's even critical for the people that follow you. And so this last lesson on bravery presses into something that you and I need to press in on. Is your life going to give life to someone else? I know many of us think in the here and now, like, well, God, what are you doing in my life right now for me and for the people immediately around? What about, what is, God, what can you do in my life right now that will dramatically impact people that follow me? That's the mature conversation. You want to have a deep conversation. You want to have a conversation that matters to the whole world. Listen, you press in and you say, how am I investing in the life of someone? How am I making someone, whether I even know that someone, but whoever follows me, Is their road going to be prepared by me? That's why I like this story. Elisha lives such an obedient life, not a perfect life, by the way, but he trusts in God enough that God's like, I know you're gone and and dead, but I can use your bones to raise a man to life. Have you been adding life to someone? Maybe not in the moment. You're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what, where this is going or that. Is going. I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying predict and, and guarantee where it's going to go. Are you investing in people? When you talk to people and engage people, do they know that you value them? Are you living in such a way now that it matters tomorrow? Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, legacy talk. Oh, this is for the, <clears throat> the older folks. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. I think the legacy talk is more about the middle schoolers, high schoolers, and young adults listening. I really believe that if you're willing to open up to a conversation now that how you live now can change generations in the future, you can let your life mark so many people. 
This, this got me even processing a little bit more. Let me, let me have you participate in activity. No, you don't have to talk to anybody. Don't worry. But some of you are like, oh, no. No, no, no. I want you thinking. Thinking quietly in your head. Think of two people, just two people that have added life to you. Just think of two people. Just go ahead. You can start thinking now. Think of two people that have, that have added life to you that, that you would say, wow, without their life, without their intervention, without them participating in my life, I don't know if I would be where I am or who I am. I don't know if I would have made it through whatever. Just think of two people. I thought, I thought of a couple people that have given life to me in such a way that I still apply and live out what they taught me. One is Coach Phil. Coach Phil was my middle school basketball coach. Now, here's what I learned is, uh, one Saturday, we had an away game. So he said, all right, we're leaving at 9 a.m. Sweet. Told my parents, and he'd be there at 9. So we rolled up. I walked into the building exactly at 9. He pulled me to the side. He's like, David, you will not be playing in today's game. I'm like, I mean, was practice that bad? And, he, and I said, well, why am I not playing? He says, you're late. I'm like, looking at the clock, it says 9 He's like, no, 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 we're leaving at nine. And I learned in that moment, if you don't know this, you really need to write this down. <laughs> uh, on time actually means early. That just helped a lot of you. You're like, I didn't know that. Some of you who are always on time, like preach this. This is the best sermon you've ever preached. And you're nudge, don't nudge. Just, but I learned from my middle school basketball coach that if you're gonna value people, you're gonna be available to people. And one of the greatest ways, I know this sounds simple, it, to be available to someone is to actually be in front of them in a moment that was predetermined and on time so you're not communicating to them, I was rushed to get here, this was not a priority. You are a priority. So I'm on time. If I'm late, well, I typically blame other people, but it's fine, that's a whole other issue I got. But I am notoriously and weirdly and obsessively early. I oftentimes will get to an appointment early and just sit out in the car Hopefully they're not watching, going, why isn't he coming in? Uh, I, I love to be early. I need to be early because I want every time I'm with someone for them to know, oh, he made time for this. He was ready for this. This wasn't last minute. I learned something else from my mom. My mom has been a teacher for a long time. Uh, she's taught in private schools. Now, I, I preface that. I say private schools. Most private schools, if you aren't aware of this, they don't pay their teachers much. <laughs> I mean, we talk about our school district and, and, and things going on in that. If you work at a private school, you typically make even less. And my mom has worked at a private school teaching kids for tons of years. And what I learned from my mom is this, very simple. The mission is more important than the money. And I'm not aware, and I, I've, I've asked, that my mom does not have a leading question. When, whenever we would move and she would switch schools and, and go to a private school and teach them about Jesus, she didn't leave with, well, what's the money? Where, where's that coming from? And she would find out what she could teach and how she could teach and how she could influence the kids. That was primary. That was number one. And I've always learned that to where the mission is far more important than the money. God can work the money out. These are just a couple things, a couple of people in my life that have taught me that they've pressed in a legacy in my life. Their legacy in my life, I can begin to detail this. Now, now, let me clear something up, by the way, about legacy. See, there, there is a legacy in everyone's life, whether you like it or not. Let me be crass for a moment. ISIS leaves a legacy. It's a horrible, horrible legacy, but it's a legacy. Uh, when you can go, Hitler 
left a legacy that we study in history classes, how horrible it was. It's a bad legacy, but it's a legacy. You can flip it on the other side in a good sense. Mother Teresa, she left a great legacy that we like to talk about and we get warm fuzzies about. You, your list of two people, left what I believe to have been a good legacy in your soul. Here's what I've contend about, about legacies. Legacies, legacies are inevitable, but brave legacies are intentional. Legacies are inevitable. You're going to leave a legacy. Whether you like this conversation or think that it relates to you, it does. Every single one of us leaves earth and there will be someone talking about what you brought to this place. That's how it works, everyone. That's how this works, is you live your life and then after your life, whatever you left, people talk about. So let me ask you a question. What is your legacy going to be? I think it's a question that relates to every single age group listening. No matter where you are or where you come from, this question is profound. What is your legacy going to be? And I would contend after many conversations and experiences in my life, you either leave people with something to recover from or you leave them with build, tools to build with. You either leave them with experiences, bad experiences, traumatizing experiences that frankly they will have to recover from and spend years and years trying to recover from even if they do. Many of you, if I were to ask you about your personal story, some of you would start off with what your parents did or didn't do and how you've had to recover from maybe it was a bad marriage or a bad relationship, a bad circumstance. And many of us, I think, all know, understand, oh yeah, I know legacies that I've had to recover from. And you would know it takes years. Sometimes you wonder if it's possible. But those two people that I asked you to think about, those are the folks that left you with some tools to build with. Tools to, to walk through life with, to construct relationships that are healthy, to, to know how to work hard, those kinds of things. It's when you leave a legacy, it's one of those two places. And if you're willing, uh-huh, you gotta be willing. If you're willing to say, I don't wanna have to leave people with stuff that they have to recover from, I wanna give them tools, then you'll listen to the rest of the message. And so let me, let me give you something to launch off with. Here's how we go. How we start doesn't have to be how we end. It doesn't have to define it. doesn't have to lock it in. doesn't have to be something that crafts it. How we start doesn't have to define how we end. When we have this legacy conversation, we all must know this. How we start doesn't control everything. I put some facts together this past week about a story that I was somewhat familiar with but learned a lot more about. Let me give you the date. January 22nd. 1931, January 22nd, 1931, it's a while ago, in Washington, D.C., a nurse gave birth to her first child, a little girl. Now, first, like, oh, he's telling a sweet story this time. January 22nd, 1931, a nurse gave birth to a little girl. Now, here's the scenario behind it. Remember, I told you 1931. Uh, Well, this nurse was not married. And in 1931, it was very normal for an unwed mom to be ostracized, pushed off out of society, to be mocked, made fun of, ignored, literally oftentimes even be banished. Socially, it went locked down, you are out, you will no longer have those relationships, families would often disown you. In 1931, it was catastrophic socially. 
emotionally to have a baby when you weren't married. This nurse on January 22nd, 1931 had a baby. So she somehow put together a plan to have this baby adopted. Now, I don't know how she did it. I don't have the facts, couldn't find the facts about it. But somehow she orchestrated an adoption. Here's how it went down. In an alley, I'll repeat that. In an alley, two cars rolled up next to each other. Their windows both went down. In one car where the baby was, two hands reach out through the window of the car and hand that baby onto other outstretched hands in the other car. The baby is passed through the windows. The family in the car receiving the baby had agreed to raise this baby. Now, now just to fast forward a little bit, they never even officially adopted this baby. No official adoption. They just had agreed, we will raise this little girl. We would raise her up, we'll we'll feed her, we'll take care of her, we'll raise her up. That's how the adoption went down. Two cars in an alley, baby passed through the window, they both pull away, there's now a baby in a family. Now, I know a little bit more history here. If you fast forward to August of 1950, this little baby girl grew up to be a young woman. She met the love of her life named William. William popped the question, and August of 1950, they got married. Now, they had kids. They had three kids, actually. And, and those three kids had kids. That's how this works, typically. And so now this baby that was passed through a window, unofficially adopted, has kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. This summer, this couple, William and June, will celebrate 66 years of marriage. And I get to claim credit to being one of the grandkids of Grandma Canaan. My grandma's life starts in a way that none of us would ever want to start. Being passed by probably a stranger into the hands of other strangers. That's how she started. Most of us would say, her life's not going to turn out well. This is not going to go well for that little baby. But how we start doesn't have to define how we end. Many of us right now, when I have this legacy conversation, you're like, David, you don't know what I've had to go through. You're right. But I also know that how you started and how it's been for you doesn't have to be how it ends. And if you want to live a life in such a way that you add life to other people, you've got to put down the past and say, okay, this is a mess. This was not what I wanted. It's not what I would have asked for and wouldn't wish on anyone else. But it's my past, and now I want to add life to someone, whether I ever know them or not. How we start doesn't have to define how we end. So whether you like how you started, no longer is an excuse. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to be a feel-good preacher. You know that I just don't like that at all. I'm not trying to say, let's just be positive about life, everybody. No, 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 no. The Bible unfolds this stuff for us. This is not just a story about my grandma where there's a, hey, you know, live life as best as you can. Jeremiah shows us how it's not about how you start. 
This is where the word, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred. Now, if you're like, okay, I'm not there in the English class yet. That marred word, in other words, it's not going the way the potter wants. It's, it's messed up in some way. It's not looking like, it's not playing out the way he wanted. The clay was marred in his hands. The potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. My favorite part of this whole thing is 18.4. So the potter formed it into another pot. Whether you like the shape that you're in, emotionally, spiritually, if you like your past or not, what I can tell you is this. If you'll let God get access to your life, I'm talking about like where you don't, you don't just hold back some things. If you'll give him access to your life, he can reshape you in such a way that you can leave a legacy of bravery for folks to build on. But you've got to be willing to put yourself into his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot. I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I do want you asking yourself, are you willing and ready to be formed into another pot? Some of us, we need that. In fact, I would contend that every human being makes choices in such a way that we all can identify with. Yeah, I I understand the broken pot. We've been there. But in God's hands, in other words, not to be metaphorical, if you give control to God, if you turn your life over to God, if you say, God, I believe in you, I will follow you, I will listen to you, I will learn about you, and you let him mold you and shape you, he can make you the pot that he knows can leave a legacy. Now, if you're willing to move on, I hope you are. There's one more point I want to draw. Here, here it is. Our limits don't have to be our legacy. I want to take it to this another step. That's why I said this. I mean, one, it's about your past. You don't let your past like, define everything. But when you move beyond your past, some of you are still going, but David, I don't, I don't have a, a notable job or I don't have an income that I like or, or my family, they're weird. I, people aren't going to look beyond that. Or, or I'm just a student. I don't know what authority I have. Listen, our limits don't have to be our legacy. You don't have to rest in and rely on your limits and say, but this, but this, but this. You can remember the scripture I read to you, that it's God that's shaping you and allowing you. So I saw a story I wanted to share with you. It's, it's very short. It's just a news story. But here's the story. Here's how this plays out. There's this boy. I believe he's in sixth grade. He refuses to let his limits be the legacy that you and I know about. Take a look. And now to a story of the human spirit and a local sixth grader's determination to play in the school band that has many people taking note. Covering Martin County with the largest news team on the Treasure Coast, News Channel 5's John Shaneman. The story all new at six. Band practice at the Pine School in Stewart. 11-year-old Ethan Heitner and his classmates in a rousing rendition of Twinkle Twinkle. Ethan plays the trumpet. My friends are playing it. Keeping time isn't a problem. Neither is playing the instrument. It was hard, but 
I got used to it, and they helped me through it. Ethan plays even though he was born with no left arm and only three fingers on his right one. I used to say when I was younger that I had a shark attack, but now I just say what happens. At the beginning of the school year, Ethan would have to play the trumpet by holding it in between his knees, but then the school found a better way. I'm a musician, I'm a drummer. School maintenance man David Allen created a stand for Ethan that keeps the trumpet steady. Oh, the first time I watched him play, it brought tears to my eyes. Ethan doesn't need any help now when he sets up or breaks down. He considers himself a normal kid. I play football a lot, and I go fishing a lot. As for football, Ethan hopes to be the Miami Dolphins kicker when he grows up, or maybe a doctor. His simple advice to others? Just don't give up. That confidence, music to the ears of many. In Stewart, John Shaman, WPTV, News Channel 5. I love those stories. I mean, I think we all do. I mean, sometimes if you ever need encouragement, you just go to YouTube and type in overcoming the odds kind of stories. And if you listened closely, you actually heard multiple legacies in there, didn't you? I mean, I'm not sure that that adult was like, I know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> I'm gonna make this stand one day for this boy one day that can't play a trumpet. No, no, no. You, you just can't be caught up in all of your limits. You can't be caught up on, oh, this is how much I make, or this is where I come from, or this is how old I am. No, no. If you're willing to be brave, you look forward. And you say, I'm going to engage the people that I'm with right now. That's the bravest people. The brave people are not the ones who are caught up in what could happen in the future. It's who's around me right now that I can add life to. I want to live that kind of a life that God says, I don't care when you're alive or dead, I can still use you. I mean, where Elisha says, I mean, Elisha, you know, didn't choose this. He's like, here's God, what I want you to do when I'm dead and have bones in some grave. I want you to know. He didn't say that. He didn't choose it. He didn't drive this story. Elisha lived a life that was about God. He loved God. He listened to God. He obeyed God. Not perfectly, but he pressed into God and says, God, I want to be a part of what you want to be a part of. You see, that's the other disclaimer I have to offer you. I don't want to skirt over this or, or pacify this. Yeah, of course, how you start does not have to define how you end. And, and your limits, they shouldn't be your legacy. Yes, 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 yes. But, but what you need involved in all that is God. Otherwise, you just leave history instead of a legacy. I believe with all my heart that God made every single one of us listen very closely. I believe he made every single one of us, every single one of us to impact the generations that would follow us. So your character now impacts the character of many others later. How you engage people now is probably how many will watch and learn to engage people later. So let me ask the same questions I asked earlier. Are you investing in the life of someone else now? Even better than that. How are you adding to the life of another person? Church, this is at the core of who we are. Jesus did not just say, hey, love me. You know that, right? That Jesus made it very clear. We're supposed to love him. And we often do so by loving other people. 
parents don't just think that your only legacy is your kids. It's the kids of other people too. For those of you who don't even have kids, kids are still your legacy. All of us as a family and a community are to own the fact that the people in front of us need us to invest in their lives. So I leave us as a final piece to this whole brave conversation. How are you being brave by giving life to someone else?